You're listening to Auto D. Coming at you live. Yes, which way? What, when, how? Mr. Auto D, flip the track right now. Hey, I'm Auto D. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to listen to some great music and talk to some really cool people. And I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, so I appreciate that you're getting with this. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, and tonight my guest is musician, singer, author, and American military veteran by the name of Gary Clemens. And we'll bring Gary on right after the song called Parking Break by Dan and Shay.
listening to Auto D coming at you live. And that was Dan and Shay with Parking Break from their CD, Where It All Began, here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you by Jet Set Magazine, the world's leading affluent lifestyle publication. You can check them out at jetsetmag.com when you get a minute. And tonight, my guest is a man that's had music in his life since he can remember, but that focus got a little sidetracked by a stint in the military, which has in turn spawned a new career of sorts as an author and also with a new calling in life, Mr. Gary Clemens. Welcome to the show, Gary. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you, Otto. It's a pleasure to be in the studios with you here, uh, towering, overlooking uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Does it uh, have a reminiscent feeling? I mean, one of the things uh, you used to do as a radio DJ as well. I was a disc jockey when I got back from the uh, Vietnam conflict here in town, in fact, uh, Scottsdale and uh, Phoenix. The country music, of course, but... Uh, well, it's fun for me. I think, uh, you know, it's the, the listeners don't get to know just how much we get to talk. We've been hanging out already for a little while, and I get all these other stories, and it's like, man, we just can't share everything with everybody. There's not enough time. But um, uh, it was interesting. Tell me a little bit about that radio gig, how you got that gig. You mentioned that you went in to see Pat McMahon. Yeah. Yeah, ironic. You know, it was hard for Vietnam veterans to get uh, to get work when we got back. It wasn't a popular war at all. And uh, I was having trouble getting a job, but I did go to the National Academy of Broadcasting in Washington, D.C., Paul Harvey School of uh, Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Graduated and uh, came back home. And uh, I went to uh, Pat McMahon and KRIZ Radio had a uh, an ad in the paper, and I, and I went. And, uh, of course, Pat McMahon, we were both young kids at the time. <laughs> he interviewed me, and he listened to me talk for a few minutes. And he went, your country? And I went, yeah. And he said, let me send you down to a friend of mine, Ray Odom, at K-Hat Radio. So by the time I got there, I was already hired. Already hired. He'd called over. Yeah, he'd called. And said, hey, you've got to have this guy. He's for something else. And I, I enjoyed it, too. And so how long were you on the radio here in the Valley? Probably a total of about seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, KDKB, uh, before they were that, they were uh, KMND, 50,000 Water Out of Mesa. And I had the morning show there, which meant I had to get off stage at uh, Scotch Mist in Scottsdale and run over to the studio <laughs> and, band. Ta- yeah. Yeah, and, and take the morning, early morning show. Wow. That had to be pretty crazy. It was what, what years were you on KDKB? Let's see. That oh. would have been um, 69, uh, 70, 71. Okay. Right in that era. All right. Just before I came to town. Um, well, you know what? Let's let's uh, go back a little bit now and kind of introduce people to you a little bit. So, tell me a little bit about uh, when you were small, kind of uh, how music started in your life. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, your was it your mother or your grandmother was a singer. You had some family member. Yeah, m- m- my mother played saxophone in the big band era. Boy, I nailed that. Yeah, with, with Artie <laughs> Shaw, and so she kept the radio on more than the TV. And oh, even, yeah. even though we had a couple, only had a couple channels here in Phoenix, it was still radio and music and. And mom was a great musician. And then um, I wound up learning how to play guitar when I was very young. And one of my early influences, of course, was Johnny Cash. When I heard him do Folsom Prison Blues, mm-hmm. that set me on fire. And so I started learning chords. And then Johnny Rivers came along. Mm-hmm. I loved him, too. Right. Well, and then when did you start playing? I mean, did you take lessons or just kind of play by ear? And You know, I, I don't rem- remember exactly when I started. I know there was always a guitar laying around, mm-hmm. and my mom used to tease me and said, and she would say things like, son, if you don't learn how to play music pretty quick, they're going to think you're retarded. <laughs> so, so by the time I was eight or nine, I was playing a few chords already, and when I was 12 or 13, I was putting songs together. That's neat, and, and starting to play with your friends about that yeah, age, too, yeah. I imagine. Had some high school bands, and uh, of course, I went to high school. Wayne Newton was a senior, and I was a freshman. 
at North High here in Phoenix. Oh, wow. And after seeing him play at the cafeteria a few times, him and his brother Jerry, I knew that was what I wanted to do. That's pretty cool. In fact, you shared with me a number of times when you said, that's what I want to do. And that's a a great story. Um, Did you have elder brothers and sisters at home? I didn't. I'm an only child. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, uh, of course, my family, uh, my mom and father were uh, married right after Pearl Harbor. It wasn't too long after Pearl Harbor. And it was a, a war atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people did get married quick, you know, and early. And I think it only lasted a year. Mm-hmm. And mom moved from the Midwest. Right, She was on her way to L.A. Mm-hmm. To, to get a job in Hollywood or somewhere. And uh, the uh, Woody van overheated in downtown Phoenix. And mm-hmm. we, we went to spend the night. I was only one year old. And she had a job uh, before she woke up in the morning. Uh, I think she, she wound up getting a job offer uh, for... Uh, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. She worked for the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation there at the Biltmore. Oh, okay. So construction was kind of a part of it, too. So she you, she probably figured, well, we'll spend, we'll spend a little time here. We'll get a little money, and then we'll head on back out to California. Yeah, I, I've heard of this guy, Frank yeah. Lloyd. Yeah, I've heard of him. So yeah, let's, let's, let's hang around and make a little money, and then we'll, we'll get to L.A. later. And so you really spent, you grew up in, in Phoenix, grew yeah. up in the Valley. Yeah, she wound up buying a, buying a home uh, off, off of 14th Street in Indian School. I went to Longview Grade School in North High, playing music in the, in, in the orchestra and the band. Mm-hmm. What did you play in the band? Trumpet. Okay. I played trumpet, too, before I played guitar. That was the first thing I picked up. But, of course, we all wanted to be drummers, so I had to do that, <laughs> which actually worked in my behalf because it set up a good foundation for playing anything else. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. What what inspired you to pick trumpet? Mom. Do you remember? Yeah, Mom. Oh, because she was playing sax. She, she, she was playing was, brass. Yeah, and she was playing big band stuff, and she told me one time that she fell madly over in love with this one trumpet player that seemed to flirt with the notes so professionally and... And you thought, oh, that's what I want to do. That's I want I the mean. women to fall in love with me, I so want to play please, trumpet. Yeah, I want to please my mom. See, my, my dad had uh, trumpet records. He had Al Hertz records, and I just, it just so impressed me to hear him, and then hearing Herb Alpert. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and to me, the two, it was hard to believe they were both trumpets, because one sounded like this powerful, you know, opera player, yeah. and, the, and the next one was just this slinky little, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was both trumpet. I just was so impressed with it, so that's why I kind of picked it up. And then, of course, in sixth grade, when my friend brings a guitar and plays Jingle Bells and all the girls go crazy, you're like, hmm, I think I'm going to have to yeah. play guitar. Switch gears. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to all of us. <clears throat> so, um, you know, your life, music in and out of uh, your teenagers before, now you're really full-time music now. Yes. But, but between that whole construction career, your military career, right. uh, let's go back to kind of, you told me a great, great story about uh, when you were a teenager uh, and you had just gone into the service. Yes. And uh, you were getting ready to ship out. Actually, you'd been in the service for a few months, and you were getting ready for your first tour of duty in Vietnam. Right. I, I, I had been playing music. I had a high school band, and I was doing a few gigs. But uh, I went through basic training in the Marine Corps in San Diego, and uh, it was only two or three days before the ship was leaving. We were going to Vietnam. And um, through the halls of the barracks, uh, these guys hollered out, we can fit one more in the car to go to Hollywood. Well, I had never been to Hollywood, so I raised my hand, and uh, they said, meet us downstairs. I got downstairs in my uniform, and they said, no, no, we wanted you to wear civilian clothes, and I go, well, I don't have any. Give me your $15. They dropped me off at uh, Hollywood and Vine and said, okay, we'll see you tomorrow, and I go, I thought we were going to a party. They said, well, no, you're not invited to that. I mean, you know, we'll just pick you up. We said we're going to Hollywood. Yeah, well, okay, so now I got to be a big boy, put my big britches on, and so I you're 18, you, and, and 18. from Phoenix, you've been here your whole life, and they just yeah. some guys just drop you off in your uniform downtown Hollywood. Yeah, 18, you're right, and I know I'm going to Vietnam. I, I want to have a good time tonight. And this is 1965. 65, yeah. 
if we can look back and remember that flavor uh, of the uh, the war was the, uh, the war wasn't popular. Really. Yeah, draft was coming on. But anyway, I started wandering around Hollywood. I didn't know where I was. I didn't look up a lot, so I didn't know where I was. I opened this dark door and I heard this voice, "Come on in." Gee, that's the first good thing I've heard all day. So I walked in and <laughs> and. And this guy said, well, go ahead and take your shirt off and help me uh, stock these coolers. So at this point, you didn't even know where you are. You just I, I were re- walking down the street, and you just opened the door. I did, and I really <clears> didn't know where I was. I knew it was a bar once I got in. It was real dark. And by the time my eyes acclimated, I was stocking the coolers. And I, I, I imagine everybody was really kind to me. And when you're coming home, and, and uh, pretty soon uh, they started hollering, doors in five. And I didn't know what doors in five really meant, but... Uh, <laughs> He told me to get dressed. He wanted to seat me down in front of the stage, and the curtain was closed, of course, and I sat down. Next thing I know, these two beautiful women came and sat down next to me, and I thought, gee, this is going to be my night. And I really felt that when he leaned over and said, I'm picking up the tab tonight, so you just have a good time, okay? And this is because you were, you were in uniform, so they let you in. They yeah. needed hands, so they yeah. put you to work. Welcome to prepping yeah. the show. He saw this young kid who's... Yeah. You know, going to tell yeah. the line. So then he wanted to treat you for he, payback. Well, so. here's why. And I found out later. Okay. The next morning, it took me to find out. Okay. But I found out that uh, he had a little brother go to Vietnam. Oh, my goodness. And uh, he, he, he he did that for him, his little brother. Right. He took care of me, wishing it was probably his little brother. Right. Anyway, um, it didn't take long until the curtains opened, and out came Johnny Rivers doing a single. And you had no idea. No idea. And now, but at this point, do you know where where you are? Yes, by, by this time I knew what the Whiskey Go-Go Now presents. <laughs> and I had heard of the Whiskey Anyway, Johnny Rivers came out and did uh, Memphis, what? Tennessee, or Memphis, whatever he called right. it back then, and Maybelline and all these hit records he had just had. I had, I had heard a few of the cuts that he had, and I was just pinned to the back of the seat. And These young girls were just really kind to me and taking care of me, and they said, okay, we'll be right back with more after this intermission. And, wow, it's going to be a second show. Great. Well, when the second show, when the curtain opened, it was The Temptations, the original wow. Temptations. Wow. And I listened to that sound system and those musicians, and I just said, if I get out of this alive, if I come back from Vietnam alive, this is what I want to do. <laughs> That's pretty inspiring. And so then you came back uh, from that night. I guess you probably spent the night in Hollywood, and then... They took they took me to their their little chateau or chateau. Yeah. Chateau. They had a place for you. They huh? did. The girls. Well, that's nice. Today. And uh, and so after we had a wonderful evening, and you can imagine, and a wonderful breakfast, they left, and and so I, uh, I just kind of they told me. How did you get back to Phoenix? Did you just get a, get a bus? No, no I had to go back to Pendleton, but they said just walk to the bottom. Oh, right, right, just to yeah, just walk down to the bottom of the hill, and and the club is on the right, and that's where we. That's it was like. Ironic, because when I got to the bottom of the hill, I looked around, looked up. Here come that car. Okay, you ready to go? And I hopped in, and we went back to Camp Pendleton. And I could tell by their conversations that uh, they didn't have quite the lucky night that I did. Right. Well, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. What a great story, though, for a music guy to get that, that send-off, you know, uh, on your way the first time. That had to be something else. Yeah, and you mentioned that at 18, you, were, you actually lived a pretty sheltered life and pretty protected life. So it had to be quite a thing to be walking b- around by yourself in Hollywood at 18 years old and yeah. then have those bands in that venue. Oh. I mean, what a night. Yeah, it lit me up. Now then, uh, you actually went to, you went over to Vietnam, you were in the service. While you were there, you actually also shared a very kind of comical uh, music story with me I'd like you to, to share. And that was uh, the bit about the officers who hired the Chinese band. <laughs> 
Well, this is all in the book. It's called War and Memories. And yeah, that's right. You do have a book. Mention that. We're going to get to that okay. in a little bit. But, uh, well, you can get this on www.warandmemories.com. Spell it all out. It's a fun read about music, PTSD, surviving. and But um, the musical story, <laughs> we took the ship over to Vietnam, and we had been on operations for a few months. And mm-hmm. I was uh, pretty used to the routine. But, and they were, USO shows were coming, but <clears throat> they weren't. They weren't getting to the depths of Vietnam that I was in. I was right up there by the DMZ, North mm-hmm. Vietnam. It was pretty hairy. And um, they had hired, the, the officers had hired a Oriental band to come play for them to defrag. And and, and uh, I guess they couldn't say a word of English, and they didn't know the songs. And, and next thing I know, a lieutenant busted in my little hooch. Everybody's getting all rowdy. Yeah, they were getting rowdy. Of I course, know what it's like when they don't like the band. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah, me too. But they were a couple hundred yards away. But this lieutenant jumped in my tent and screamed my last name, and I went, Club "Oh ads. no, what did I do now?" And uh, I stood up at attention. He said, "I heard you play guitar and sing." And he, yes, come with me right now. And grab that guitar. So I did, and I'm trying to tune the thing. And the sun's going down. We get to the back of this tent, and. Uh, <clears throat> he tells me basically what's going on. He says, get in there and sing a couple songs these guys can understand. Basically throws me under the tent. I jump up on the microphone. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that uh, seven seconds of complete silence scared the heck out of me. But <laughs> next thing I know, I jumped into... <laughs> well, the last stuff you heard before you Yeah, left, the know? last stuff I heard. And, uh, and, Johnny and, Rivers. and then, of course, he threw me out the back of the tent just about as fast as I got there, maybe three songs later. And, and I said, uh, when I got back to my... My, my tent, my my. But you bed. mentioned when you played. I mean, they, they everyone was just like so happy to oh, have you playing. They knew the songs. They're they, they getting all. They're grabbing on you. Oh, dude, they were crying. Yeah. The tears. I was singing Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, all these uh, Kansas City. I sang. Uh-huh. So I was naming these towns that they're from. And and uh, what's neat is you you just had this experience before you got over there, where yeah. you said, "This is what I'm gonna do if I if I yeah. get out of here alive." Yeah. Now you're over there, kind of getting the same kind of affirmation from everybody. Yeah, this yeah. this is what I want to do. Oh, know? and it was so electric for me, and and I I remember going back to my tent being so quiet, and I thought, if I get out of this alive, yeah, if that's if music can, is that powerful and can do mm-hmm. that much for people, I uh, I want to do it for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Now, w- when did you get back? Was it were you over there for how long? Uh, one back in Viet- in Vietnam area, you did a one tour of thirteen months. Okay. Now it's a little different. Right. Afghanistan and, and Iraq, they're right. doing six seven month tours. And yeah, and multiple tours, multiple tours. Yeah. So when you got back, <laughs> I know there's a whole construction side both to the family and, and to your personal story. Mm. But sticking to music, when you came back, yeah. um, how quickly were you playing? How quickly did you get back into playing? Fairly quickly, Otto. I you jumped w- into the radio. You got the radio gig pretty quick, I, I right? I had the radio thing going, so I had we had a radio band. Uh, I, I was playing all the big clubs here in Phoenix. Uh, uh, really hit the hit the right spot, you know. And um, I think I uh, started playing within a few weeks. I remember having trouble getting a job, and I went to the VA here. Now, remember, this is 1970, 69, 70. Nothing is PC Nothing. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they said... Um, well, we can't get you a job. You, you know, you're you're not injured. Uh, get out of here. So I, I right away I woke up and said, okay, the VA is not going to help me. Right. So uh, I I got to make my own way here. So so I started playing music right away, and 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 I found a 
a friend of mine came up and said, hey, they're looking for a drummer in Scottsdale. I, right. I know the club. And I, and I made the grade, and then I was down there for three and a half years playing drums and trumpet at the same time. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't seen that before. I'll have to see if we can dig up some YouTube video or something. We were doing some Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears shots. That's shops. pretty cool. Da, da, da. And you're playing the drums and playing trumpet. Da, 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 da. Yeah, just doing a little shot. That's pretty neat. Well, let me ask you a question. You, you, you got connected with uh, Ronnie Keel. I did. And you were in his band for a long time. I did. I was. A great talent. And you wrote some tunes with him, and they were hit songs, and you made a bunch of money in the music business as a songwriter, which is the dream of all these characters who who do this. So where did you meet Ronnie? How did that association start? Well, Ronnie had a... uh, He was under contract with uh, um, uh, Kiss. Who's the leader of Kiss? uh, uh, Gene Simmons? Gene Simmons. Okay, so Gene Gene Simmons had him under... Management company? Yeah, he had him under contract in L.A., and Ronnie Keel had, had three straight hits, the right to rock and <clears throat> well anyway uh he had uh gene let him go and he came back to phoenix and he was playing a small club in downtown phoenix and it was the urban cowboy era sort of uh, tail end of it he was doing country music and a friend of mine a good guitar player a good friend of mine hal monte called me and said it's like eight o'clock nine o'clock gary you got to get down here you got to hear this kid um he's looking for to put a band together you'd be perfect for him and so i i did i got off the couch and went down there we put a band together, and inside a year, we'd already been to the studio. We, we uh, cut, a, uh, cut a CD, and we went to work at the Buffalo Chip Saloon up there in, mm. in Cave Creek. Part of that history. Yeah. Because yeah, it's gone now, so recently, and with the big event on Saturday, actually. But before that, Otto, I, it, you know, I, w- I went on the road with, um, with, a, with a seven-time Hall of Famer Johnny Western, who wrote Paladin, Johnny Yuma, Bonanza. Mm-hmm. He wrote all those songs for film and TV, and he taught me how to to write like that in the back of the bus. And <clears throat> I had written this song in a matter of a few hours and then put it in my briefcase and didn't think about it for 10 years. And Ronnie came to me and said, we need one more song to fill this album. And I said, well, I got one. I wrote it on a bus 10 years ago. Yeah. I, got, I think it's in here somewhere. Yeah, I, I dug <laughs> it out and gave it to him. He went, I love it. And, cool. uh, and we recorded it. Now, this is for the, all the inspiring songwriters out there and the singers. Right. If you write and you haven't got anything placed yet don't quit on it just keep throwing it out there yeah and don't throw it away don't throw it away keep putting it out there because this is what happened to me Otto. i gave ronnie that song it wound up being in three movies right and a uh, tv series uh the guiding light right okay and uh, long story short uh mailbox money to the tune of eighty thousand dollars <laughs> for that two-hour song i wrote in the back of the bus 10 years earlier wow now, you, there's another story to that, too. <clears throat> Not only was it a successful song, but it was poo-pooed by industry vets who had an opportunity to listen to it. You picked that up out of that story. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I had taken the song to L.A., and uh, I was trying to get a bigger deal, uh, not only just uh, in the movies, but uh, we were trying to pitch it, <clears throat> and Ronnie had given me the okay. And you thought, hey, if it's already got this kind of success, maybe we can... Yeah. They'll, must, they'll, they'll see it. They'll, they'll know this has legs. You know? There's some substance here. So. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the critique panel was mm-hmm. made up of Nashville and L.A. And greats. Guys, yeah, oh, big, yeah, big guys. People probably. And they chose me, uh, the song, anyway. Uh, and this is a random choice. A random choice. Okay, yeah. I, have a, I have a dozen people or something. Yeah, and, um, and, and of course they just tore the song up, said this is not commercial, this is not what uh, country music is looking for, <clears throat> and here's, here's how you don't want to do this. Just listen to this. So after it was all over and everybody was looking at me like, poor guy, he's just taking a beating here. Oh, my God. I was getting little pats on the back. Don't worry, son. Don't worry. And I 
I waited until it was all over, and they're getting ready to go to the next uh, panelist or whatever, the next song. And I said, uh, I drove all the way from Phoenix over here to L.A. Can I, can I talk about this song a little bit? And they said, well, well sure, of course. What do, you want to, what do you want to say? And I said, well, I just want to remind everybody in the audience that if you're out there writing songs and nobody believes in it, don't give up on it because this song has already made me $80,000. And you could see the looks on their faces. I'm they, sure they were upset with it. Was, it, was, it was kind of comical. That is pretty funny. And then you were also in a local band called Stumpwater Jack. Yes. And I think you gave me a cut. I Actually, you know, i got a couple things here. I don't even know what to play. We keep skipping all over all this stuff. How about uh, Girls, Bars, and Steel Guitars? Well, that's that was the, the tune, right? That's the tune, the Ronnie Lee tune. Ronnie, he recorded Kiel, it. Yeah, and that, that was the one that uh, was critiqued horribly and torn apart yes. that has earned you that kind of mailbox yeah, money, as you yeah. refer to it. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about this recording. Uh, you're not involved on this recording, or are you? Are you playing on this uh, I actually uh, wrote it. And, right. And, uh, so you're the writer. And write and, and set the bass lines. And, um, okay. And I think he, it was, I recorded it first, but I think this particular cut was another bass player. Might have been I had already recorded. moved on to another project in uh, California. Okay. So here's uh, <coughs> Girls, Bars, and Steel Guitars with Ronnie Keel.
You're listening to Arode coming at you live. And I am Otto Daniolo, and I'm here with my guest Gary Clemens. And that song was "Girls, Bars, and Steel Guitars." That was written by Gary, so that had to be pretty exciting when that happened. That was what a surprise! Just out of nowhere. And have you have you had other songs re, uh, recorded by other artists? We have. Um, Ronnie and I co-wrote another song called uh, "Last Call," and uh, we wrote it. Well, you know, we recently lost a cornerstone of country music support with the burning of the famous uh, Buffalo Chip Saloon up there in Cave Creek. Mm-hmm. You heard about that? Mm-hmm. Well, many years ago, we were working there one night, and a wonderful old gentleman by the name of DJ met his maker while he was dancing on the uh, to our band there, and we were kind of devastated. And, and he was a super guy that uh, that many agreed went too early. The next morning, this song came spilling out of us in less than an hour. I, it kind of sorted tells the story about a life cycle of a, of a man and who spent his time enjoying everyone and every day and to the fullest. And uh, this song was eventually uh, recorded by uh, Kenny Chesney. It was just a, it was a cover tune inside an album, mm-hmm. but it was kind of nice to get uh, Kenny to cover one of my tunes. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I would say so. That's pretty cool. When, when did that happen? Uh, see, this had to be uh, in 98, I think, okay. 97, one of his early albums, you know? Okay. Yeah. And that's about the time Sean Paddock, I think, ended up uh, going to play drums for him. Because Sean was here with the Herndon Brothers, that's like right. in 97, 96, and 97. So right around there is when he landed that that's gig, That's right. Yeah. Kenny got all tied up to Phoenix, Arizona, didn't he? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because Nashville is often There's a drift, lot. drifted through uh, Phoenix and yeah. picked up their, uh, their utility players. Well, you know, and you have a, a real relationship to Waylon, too, in your history. And Waylon was out here a lot. Well, I, there's a lot of us here in Phoenix that do. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I have a great... A great story. You stole his guitar player for a split second. Yeah, I did steal his and guitar player. And had a hit player. record. A and had a hit record, record with him, too, real <laughs> so quick. Took, so he took him back. Yeah, so now, and that song, was uh, was that Too Many Outlaws? That was, was that Too Many that Outlaws. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that band and that song. Oh, that was a great... That, that got through, put together real quick. I was I, I had the house band up at Pinnacle Peak before that closed. Mm-hmm. This was back in the 70s, uh, or late 70s. And my house band was playing six nights a week. You know, back then, you, you could work a lot. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Gropp had left Wayland after 21 years. Wow. They had a falling out, and he moved back. He came back home to Scottsdale, and uh, he came up to Pinnacle Peak to meet me uh, through some connection. I forgot what it was. And he said, could he, he asked if he could sit in, and I said, of course. Um, so he sat in. He did two songs, and I walked over to his side of the stage and said, you want a job? <laughs> he went, yeah, and I went, you're hired. And within a month or maybe a month and a half, we were in the studio. And recorded this song, Too Many Outlaws, and it went right up the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Buck Owens local radio station right. owned KNIX, if, if I can mention. Yeah, when they had the power to play their own songs and yes. pick what they wanted to play. Yes. Radio was a little more open it was. back in the it day. Was. Well, you talk about a cash cow revenue. That that set us up for two years. We uh, We did phenomenal after that song came out. Well, it made you kind of local or regional stars in a sense. You probably got to play a lot more gigs. Exactly. And did you get your performance royalties from BMI back from radio play on that? Uh, ASCAP. ASCAP, okay. ASCAP, yeah. Oh, good. You're BMI. Yeah, I am BMI. We're still friends. That's good. That's good. (laughs) We are sitting on opposite sides of the table. Yeah. 
Um, well, that's that. That's a pretty cool story. When's when's the latest thing that you had cut? Is it this stuff? Is the last stuff that was placed with somebody, or maybe you had some newer songs placed? No, that was the la- last time okay. I was with Ronnie Keel. Um, okay. and I did. And Ronnie's got a lot of interesting things coming up oh, that we're gee. not going to talk about. That oh, uh, you're going to have your fingers in there. You've been invited I to participate. Am. All right. I am. I am. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more about that. Good. And being involved if possible. So, besides all that, I'm going to play too many outlaws. And, and I want to talk about your book. And before we even get there, let's talk about Waylon. You do a Waylon tribute show, too, still. Well, you're, you're playing some of the casinos and clubs up through Northern Arizona doing this Waylon. I'm sorry. I'm that's okay. Tongue-tied here. I, uh, tried, I tried a Waylon and Willie thing one time, but uh-huh. uh, it didn't work out real well with, the, with my Waylon guy. Right. But, uh, yeah, I've done some Willie stuff. I did a, a couple of shows up in Prescott at the Elks Theater. The Opera House up Great there. Theater. I yeah. got to play there one time. Yes, the you did. Show. That was fun. I had to gig that night. I'd have been there to see yeah, it. It's a neat place. But um, I enjoy that. You know, people say I look a little bit like Willie, and oh, in the photos you do, yeah. you look just like him. And your show is called Always Willie. Almost Willie. Almost Willie. Yeah. Okay, not always. Yeah, almost. It's, it's my reluctant Lennon. Almost <laughs> Willie. We kind of have the same take on that, don't we? This tribute artist. I think we both jumped on the bandwagon. But you really look like John Lennon. My well, God. you know, give me a wig and some glued-on sideburns and a round glasses, and anybody can look like John. Well, I can uh, sing through my nose, and I can sound like Willie too. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I, I got to see it because, like I say, you know, it's kind of like the old saying on Facebook: everybody's successful. Every, you know, everything yeah. looks. You know, you put your best foot forward. The best picture, but when you see these stills of performers performing, yeah. as long as it's a good photographer and it's in a nice setting, it looks great. But then you talk about these tribute artists who do look like the artists; yeah. they look fantastic in photos. And I remember the first shots I saw of you as Willie Nelson. It was like, wow! Yeah. I mean, it's striking. And you know, people really do—they kind of hear with their eyes in that environment. Yeah, they do. As long as you sound close and you look good, yeah. they they can they can relax into that reality kind of and really enjoy right. it. Uh, watching people enjoy the Lennon show is the only reason I did it or do it for them. Right, you know? right. So let's go back and play Too Many Outlaws. And now this song came out... 1980? 1980. Yeah. Cool. Jerry Gropp had left Waylon and uh, we put this song together in the studio and had tremendous luck with it. Let's hear it. It's hats and beards and jeans and all that bit Well, I've looked that way for years But folks just ain't he a mess And it's hard to be an outlaw When you're trying to get a hit Well, nowadays hats and beards Are quite a common thing And folks should care a lot more About the songs you have to sing Yeah, I've been singing all my life And I ain't about to quit But it's hard to be an outlaw Help the 
this poor outlaw to get himself a hit. Won't someone help this outlaw? And I sure could use a hit. I'm tired of singing in them old bars. I need to pay the rent and support my wife and my girlfriends. Buy gas for the Cadillac. I dress just like Waylon and Willie and Billy and the boys and Jerry Jeff and Paycheck. I just Listening to Auto D coming at you live. Well, Gary, it's about this time of the show every week that I bring on my good friend Sam Moore from Sam and Dave. Sam, how are you doing tonight? Are you there? Well, thanks for yourself. All right, I'm doing good. And this is Gary Clemens. Gary, say hey to Sam. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, Gary. How are you doing? Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You know, my first wife, when I got back from Vietnam, she loves Sam and Dave, and I listened to every song you guys recorded back then over and over, and I just loved it. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that very much. Actually, Gary was on the radio here for a number of years, too, as a disc jockey. Plus, he played in a lot of the groups in the area. He's, he was essentially living in Phoenix since he was one year old. So he's been here wow. quite a while. Wow. And if you, get, you, know, if you want to sneak out around town incognito, Sam, he does a Willie Nelson tribute that's pretty off the hook. We'll have to catch him. Get out of here, really? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. Looks wow. just like him. You think I look like John. you got to see this guy. Wow, he probably sings better than Willie, too. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You he's, never know. He's got such you a great know. he's got such a great catalog to pull from. I love I love some of the obscure stuff like Seven Spanish Angels, you know, with Ray and Ray Charles. And yeah, yeah. The man. One thing. The one thing about I was, you know, only time I really enjoyed Willie, and I really and I go back a long way. But the only thing I ever really was a hell of a writer. And I used to like to see him uh, do things with Ray. It, mm-hmm. it made me feel so good. See, for some reason, it looked like the, the two of them worked. Uh-huh. You know? they I did. liked that. I yeah. really did. Me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm my favorite Willie thing, and it might seem funny, but it was a movie. He actually played in, in a movie called Wag the Dog. And it was oh, uh, man, Dustin yeah. Hoffman and you know, Al Pacino. and. Oh, yeah. And it was a thing about faking a war to win an election, you know. And, right, and they brought, right. They brought they called Dustin Hoffman called Willie in to write a song and direct the band, you know. Uh, he goes, we need a song, you know, about the Mar- about the Canadian Mounties you know, guarding the border, yeah. and then you know, it's just funny. It's a funny movie, right? anyway. But Willie was great, and he was absolutely great in it. it well, one fun. thing always, one thing always impressed me with Willie. He played those westerns better than a lot of people. Oh yeah. I could imagine. I mean, really played a part of, in, in a Western you like. He was so unbelievable, but he had fun. You, mm. you enjoyed, you know he was playing a bad part, but you enjoyed the bad parts he played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You enjoyed it. You know, you go and you say, hey, that's, that doesn't look like he can pull that off. But yes, he did. He was uh, great at playing those Westerns, man. Yeah. I, think, I think you're right on. He's, he's like uh, a, a much better actor than people ever gave him credit for. Really yeah. gave him credit? And I'm going, wait a minute. 
I don't know whether anybody's paying attention, but really, really can act. He really is good. I agree. Very yeah. talented. And he's never tried to look young, which is great for an actor, because if you look old yeah. when you're 25, <laughs> when you're 65, you don't look like you've aged a day. And people I are know, like, this guy's, know, <laughs> this guy's never going to get old. You know, so he's always looked the same. He know? always looked like Willie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever that <laughs> he's means. He's always looked like an know? old guy, kind of. <laughs> I know. And, and you know, you're going, Willie... I know you 105, but you're lucky <laughs> by 20. You're lucky by 50, really. I don't know what's going on here with you. Yeah. You know, but uh, no, really, as a, now if you talk about an icon, mm-hmm. yeah. as a writer, as an actor, as a talented human being, an American man, mm-hmm. oh, you, yeah. would have to, you would have to put Ray, uh, you would have to put Willie in there someplace. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. you don't put a number, you just put him in there. That's yeah. all. Well, you know what? You're in there too, Coach. And I'll tell you what, I can't wait to drive down from Prescott some night and catch you in a show. Are you got anything going here these days? He's got I some big know. stuff coming oh, up. Oh, I can't no, wait. I'm going to be home for a minute. I, 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 my next thing, I'll, I've i got to go uh, into, uh, I'm going to Washington and do the Ray Charles book. That's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. That's going to be fun. And then I'll go to Miami and do, they ask me, the people in Miami. The, uh, the tribute to Soul Man concerts. Well, no, they, they asked me to come in and do uh, the, the, the Martin Luther King thing in Miami. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Because it goes back some time. So I don't have to sing. I think, I don't know, although I probably will sing uh, They Kill the King, I think. Oh, right. I won't sing it in live but it'll be played yeah. as you're coming down the street so i i'll probably will do that mm, yeah. that could be cool yeah so you got big plans for the holidays you're staying in town got family coming I around I, I you know what i i'm resting and i, I and uh all the grandkids are old I enough you, like do, you, you don't have to play santa claus anymore no no <laughs> they, they, they they too big and old <laughs> That's good. but i i you know i gotta tell you it's it, it, I, I, I'm so anxious to get back and get back in that studio and do the things that would surprise even me to do. Mm-hmm. You two are magical. I'm really looking forward to that. I really am. You know, I, It's going to take a little time, and then I'll have a lot of time to do it. And after that, then I don't know, my dear friend, I don't have a job, so maybe you can give me a job after everything is done. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know whether they're hiring people like myself, but... You know, old, I'm, retired I'm, rock I'm and roll superstars, you, members yeah. of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah, you guys yeah. can't work anyplace. Maybe yeah. maybe you use car lot, you know, you could yeah. sell you cars. So? Yeah, never know. yeah, maybe so, who knows. <clears throat> well, I'm looking forward to that new record, too. I think that's going to be exciting for you. I hope so. That'd be I great. So. I think it's going to be okay. All right, my friend. Well, listen, thanks for spending some time with me. Back at you. Yeah. And uh, and uh, let's do this again. We will next week, right before Christmas. We'll have to think of our favorite Christmas song. Hey, let's do that. Let's let's ask you everybody know, to a, send in a, their I thoughts. Did a, I did a Christmas album many years ago. I might pull a copy and, and, and send it over to I might make you sing a Christmas here. song on the phone <sighs> next week. You maybe know, maybe we'll do a duet. Well, maybe... <laughs> Now, you know, I think I got a record that we can do, and uh, I'll, I'll try and find it, and they can okay. play it for Christmas, okay? That'd be fun. Yeah, Coach, you got to do some stuff for, me for that album anyway, so I'll Absolutely. talk to you about it. Yeah. All right, my friend, have a great night. And my dear friend with you, hello and thank you. It's been a pleasure being on the same show with you, sir. You bet your buddy. All right. Good have night, good Sam. One. Take care. Good night. It's always a pleasure for me to chat with Sam and, and introduce him to my guests. It's always a lot of fun. 
And uh, Gary, we've got a few more minutes. Um, let's talk a little bit about your book, because I know that when you came back from Vietnam, you had a lot of issues kind of reinserting yourself into normal life, as some people would call it. And um, your own survival, uh, successful survival, spawned this book, which you really mm-hmm. refer to as a, as a PSTD survival guide. Yes. Tell me about it, the book. It is. It, it's a memoir uh, disguised as a PTSD survival guide kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people who come back from, from war, combat, have a lot of difficulty in, in acclimating to civilian life, especially during my war. But now the Afghan and Iraqi wars are producing the same kind of veterans. They come home and they don't know what to do with themselves. The adrenaline's going. They don't feel appreciated. Uh, the, the families don't quite do enough to bring them in, bring them home to the family. And um, there's some tragedies happening out there. Um, they're committing suicide. And um, and I know the feeling because I was close to it. And music saved me. Music mm-hmm. was my savior. I was able to play music and, and be accepted, uh, hiding behind the footlights, so to speak. And and so I, I have music to thank for that. But if uh, if anybody out there, and, and I think everybody is touched some way or another from a veteran right now that you may know, you may know of, uh, reel him in, make him feel wanted, and uh, you might save a life, and you can do it through music or just love. But I kind of crashed and burned when I realized, uh, I, I heard the st- statistics of mm-hmm. uh, today's returning veterans, mm-hmm. and I, it took me back when I knew I was in trouble on the streets of Phoenix, and... Um, and so my therapist, my VA therapist, said, once you write a book, you've got some wonderful stories. So I did. I put together a book that could help a lot of these returning veterans. Mm-hmm. And I had some uh, expendable cash. And I said, you know, I'm just going to give back this, this pile right here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it back, and I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to give it to the veterans, mm-hmm. the ones that, that need it and that are asking for help. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, Otto, the feedback I'm getting, and some of the stories are just phenomenal. Uh, they're calling back and saying, I read your book, Gary. I've got a newfound energy. I'm going to buy myself a guitar. I'm going to write a song. I'm going to, you know, do things in the book that, that I did that pulled me out of combat. Right. Well, you know, it's amazing. A lot of musicians will tell you that the music's the only thing that got them through their dark days, yes. whether, it's, whether it was similar to your experience or not. So true. The people who have that to, to express or to use, it's, yeah. it's pretty incredibly powerful, music is. Yeah, you know? Music is so powerful. Yeah. And... Um, now, let's talk a little bit, about, again, about your experience prior to writing the book when, and why you wrote the book. When, when you came back, uh, you mentioned to me that after about a year, you really just put everything out of your mind for a good 40 years. And you were telling me about uh, a trip um, your therapist told you to make back oh. to the wall in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And you were like, oh, come on. Like, I don't need to do this. Right. But uh, that ended up being a traumatic experience. It did. And unexpected. I, right. I, I, like you say... Uh, people didn't want to hear about the war when I got back, and so I, I parked it, and I grew my hair very long, and I and I became a musician and or whatever I could to make a living. Didn't talk about it right. for forty years. You told me that you were on a date, and she's like, "Oh, I see you, oh. Gary. If you don't talk about the war, oh, when I first got back, people weren't willing. People oh. didn't want to look at no, it. No, I couldn't get a date, you know, because you have this aura about you right. when you, you just got through killing people, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> you just, and you get you know you don't look right. right. So this this finally this girl said. Gary, I'll go out with you, but just don't mention the war or nothing like that. And I was. I was the big elephant in the room. You know, I was the guy that nobody nobody wanted to talk to me. Be careful. (laughs) But anyway, uh, 
she 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 did date me and I didn't say a word but uh, I, in fact I parked it for 40 years and didn't even mention the word to anybody and this is in the book it's a wonderful read and it's war and memories war and memories.com and and I auto my first wife I don't think she even knew I was in Vietnam mm-hmm. that's, that's how, how far you parked that's it. how far I parked it <clears throat> I didn't even mention it but all of a sudden I, I I check into the VA in Prescott we have a wonderful VA up in Prescott by the way and uh, they really welcomed you home. I finally checked in at uh, 50-something years old and, and started seeing a the therapist. And uh, he said, Gary, guess what? This year you have won a free trip to the wall in D.C. And uh, that's gonna, you're going to go back there and you're going to heal all. You're going to heal it all. And I go, no, I, I, I'm fine. No, no, you're not, Gary. You're not fine. I'm your therapist, and I'm telling you, you need some help. <laughs> so I, I, I reluctantly took the trip. Good thing I don't have a therapist. Yeah. I reluctantly <laughs> took the trip. And, and, you know, after four or five days, I found myself one evening when the sun was going down. It was misty rain. And I was on these granite walls, touching every name that died during my tour over there. And I just wanted to touch every name because I wanted to say this could have been me. And I wanted to own some part of that and thank them. And uh, I, I crashed. And, and when I got home, it didn't stop. Uh, uh, less than a week later, I'm in the hospital in a full-blown anxiety attack. and um, Kind of opened uh, up those kind of opened floodgates up, you know, held down for 40 years. Every, every scene of the, pulling these bodies off of choppers and doing all the things I had to do over there mm-hmm, to survive mm-hmm. this war came in real focus in Technicolor and, and, and like a playback machine. I couldn't mm-hmm. stop thinking about it. I went eight days without sleep. I checked mm-hmm. myself into the hospital. But anyway, uh, to make a long story short, uh, my therapist finally said, Gary, write a book. Get, a, get, a, get all this out. Right. Get it over with. So for the last four and a half years, I've been penning this book, and it wound up being about music and PTSD survival. Well, besides um, that, tell me about the process of writing. You, you mentioned uh, you need to write a book. You should write it. Well, how did you feel? Was that therapy for you, writing? It was real therapy for me, and... I had decided I didn't have a, um, a a somebody to tell me how to do it. Right. I just said, well, I'm going to if I'm going to write a book, it's just going to be me. It's going to write this book. Right. So uh, I started thinking of all the stories that uh, happened in Vietnam and mm-hmm. and all the musical stories and kind of maybe making a memoir out of it for, mm-hmm. for my family legacy. Right. And um, it, it just so you kind of wrote both. What you couldn't really write a memoir without it dealing with surviving that experience, because that's yes. part of what your story is. Yes. So I liked so how true. you mentioned you, you say you know it's it's a survival guide disguised as a memoir. I think yeah, that's kind yeah, of that's, comical right. because it's if you if it were just the survival guide, if it were just dealing with the the problem then or the condition, then less people would pick it up. Maybe, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to read something that heavy or, or like you yeah. felt. I don't need that. I'm OK. Yes. But when it's a story about this guy who played music and went to war and it's his life short, it's a memoir yeah. and you find out it's wow, how he survived. That's right. what makes it a survival guide. Right. It's, it's more of how how it worked for you. you know? Right. And there's something out there <clears throat> called the sixth sense. You know, mm-hmm. we all have it. And, and I think the, the sixth sense kept me alive over there a lot of times. And it, mm-hmm. it made me, it helped me make uh, good choices when I got mm-hmm. home. And I think if you listen to that sixth sense, and, mm-hmm. and if you like music or if you like it's something you're really passionate about, mm-hmm. that's your calling. You, you've got to go with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think anytime you go, it's, it's fascinating to me, anytime you go and try to take your feelings or, or what's in you like that and you try and bury it, 
it doesn't go away. It's like taking something, taking a little match and putting it in so your true. sock drawer and closing the drawer. I'll so just leave true. it there. No, when you open it, it's going to be all it's fire. There. It's it's going to come back, and it's going to come back with a vengeance. Well, you know? look, and people just put their head in the oh. sand with all kinds of emotional issues, thinking, I just, this is how I'm going to deal with it. I'm just going to shut it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no such thing. Well, th- b- believe me, this book is available at Amazon.com, mm-hmm. you know, at Barnes & Noble, and all, all the so media. people can get it for a Kindle too. They yeah, you can get, get it for a Kindle, and it's a fun read. It, it's a lot of good stories about music and and how you can make it. And 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 if if you've had divorces or any traumatic PTSD experience, you don't have to go to combat to enjoy this book. Right. But um, well, you don't have to go to combat to have emotional yeah, scars no, or life scars to survive. So we all true. have our our true. combats in a sense. Not to compare one with right. with physical combat in war, but so warandmemories dot com mm-hmm. or my name Gary Clemens dot com. Uh, is going to get you there, and uh, it's only nine ninety nine. It's a fun read. Cool. And then uh, you also have your own personal website. I do, yeah. Which is GaryClemons.com. Gary and that's, yeah. why don't you spell your last name for me? Yeah. C-L-E-M-M-O-N-S. And so on that site, does it talk about where you're playing and when the Willie Show is happening, if it's happening? Do you I, kind of keep that posted there? I try to keep that updated, yeah, and, and, I, and I will do that more now that you mentioned it <laughs> why not and you know we we didn't even really get onto your your um, construction background which i think is fascinating yeah. too because of, on both sides of the family you had this design thing happening and yeah. then uh, you were also ended up in the construction business but uh, you were just give me a quick overview of, of what you were doing like you said you were dropped in seattle to build oh you know these crazy. high rises and, yeah well I, I think being a marine and and, and being a survivor in combat you become a leader because you're, you're leading. It your makes sh- construction a lot less dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so true. <laughs> but uh, well, I'm not it, afraid of this. I, I learned how to lead men. And, right. And you, you, you don't do it. You, you can do it with kindness. And right. you can do it with affirmative action. Right. And uh, so I was, I was fairly decent at that, evidently, because uh, I was trusted with a set of plans and, and, and four or five million dollars and dropped off into town and said, go build this on that piece of property. And you got 18 months to do it. Mm-hmm. And I did that 22 times with uh, projects right around here in downtown Scottsdale, mm-hmm. uh, downtown Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, all over the West, the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was with uh, one of the premier builders uh, in America. And, and I was very fortunate to be able to play music at night, too. I, I burned the candle at both ends because that energy was always there. You, you never get rid of it. I mean, what what a life story so far. You're talking about a drummer who's playing drum fills while he's playing trumpet. Yes. Talking about a bass player. You're talking about having been on tour with Ronnie Keel and some others, having hit songs covered uh, by by superstars, uh, you know, dealing crossing paths with Waylon's guitar player and having your own uh, hit song, having your radio career, having your military career, having your construction career, still playing in bands all the time. Yeah. Now you're doing tribute acts and yeah. writing books, and it's like... Uh, you know, for creative people, it just never ends. You just keep going. So what's what's next for you to have the next big thing? I think it's going to be this Midwest deal with Ronnie. Huh? I do, too. It's yeah, gonna, we got to get you over get there, kind too. kind of excited. Well, let's play a song that kind of got this all started for you because this is a great, great old track okay. uh, that you mentioned earlier. And everybody knows this song. Yeah, it was uh, I hear the train a 14 or something. rolling around the bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison And time keeps dragging I always love the, the little drum sound Yeah, it's like, it's like a whack on the well, stick with a delay keeps rolling yeah. On down to San Antonio 
and they were experimenting back then. They, they when I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. That didn't happen. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him you know, I heard Johnny Cash was never ever in jail or in prison. No, he was not. But boy, that isn't. Every, if you if you put up the trivia question, how many times was Johnny Cash in jail? Yeah, the answers you'd get would go to a hundred. You know? Funny is his guitar player at the time was Johnny Western, and I wound up being Johnny Western's band leader on the road for many years. <laughs> well, that's kind of cool. That was fun. You know, a lot of people come in and tell me they were inspired by the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. That yeah. was the first thing. And it's, yeah. it's, but it's, and then then they tell me how they crossed paths on some way with that story. Right. So it's neat to think that these were the songs that inspired you, and you ended up running into Johnny Rivers at the club before you went off. Yes. And then the, you ended up being his band leader, being his guitar, guitar being leader. Johnny Johnny Cash's yeah. guitar player's band leader for three and a half years. After the song is one of the songs that kind of inspired you yeah. to be all about music. That's exciting. Well, listen, Gary, thanks for sharing your story with me. It's always great to have uh, characters like yourself in here to chat with. It's a blast for me. It's been a real pleasure being with you, Otto. Awesome. And I will uh, talk to you soon again, I'm sure. So be safe out there. And uh, if I don't see you again before the holidays, have a great holiday. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Take care.